It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, welcome to The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna, and I couldn't be more excited to be interviewing our next guest, someone that I've had on the air before, but somebody who has struck me and has fascinated me with the journey of his life. Let me tell you a little bit about Arun Singh. He is an MD and is a preeminent cardiac surgeon who has personally performed over 20,000 heart surgeries. He's been in over 20,000 hearts. (laughs) He has earned numerous awards as a physician, including the American Heart Association's Hero at Heart Award, and the Milton Hamuski Outstanding Physician Award in practice at Rhode Island Hospital since 1975 for 20 years. Dr. Singh was voted top doc by Rhode Island Monthly Magazine. He was also elected to the Rhode Island Heritage Hall of Fame, only the second person of Indian descent to receive this distinction. Aren't you proud of him? His memoir is titled, Your Heart, My Hands, an immigrant's remarkable journey to become one of America's preeminent cardiac surgeons. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Arun Singh. Dr. Singh, I'm so glad to have you back today. Welcome. I'm glad to have me with you. This COVID has been no joke. It's been impacting all of our lives in ways that I don't even think we're able to find the words. What's it been like for you so far as a practicing physician? What have you been learning a lot about yourself in particular? Well, one thing we learn that you can't fool the mother nature. We have all the science and technology. Mother nature has its own discourse. We also learn that we're all vulnerable, regardless of economic status. Early on, the COVID 
hit the poor people. Now, as the second and third phase of COVID coming, is hitting the younger and the wealthier population too. So the disease, the virus, does not discriminate the rich and the poor. In the mm. early days, it did, but later on, it doesn't. So it's been eye-opening. They also learned from COVID, the poor country, the people who doesn't have the health care, the people who are disadvantaged are more vulnerable than we are lucky ones who have the ability of the better health care, the vaccination, and the facility. Mm, yeah, it's so true. So it's been challenging for many of us. I don't care if you're spiritual, not whatever you think you are. There's something about the uncertainty in the air, Dr. Singh. It's like nobody knows. And then the ignorance of do you take a vaccine, not take a vaccine, that we don't want to take a vaccine. It's just been so crippling. But at the age of 22 years, you know, you left behind a life in India and you had a lot of setbacks and your father's doubt, you know, you went through a lot with your relationship. You came with $5 in your pocket. Tell us a little bit about your childhood in India and what actually led you to take that journey to the USA. First of all, when dad was a headmaster, this was his second marriage to my mother. His first marriage, he had one son and a daughter. Son was three-year-old and a daughter was one-year-old. And the wife, they traveled to their parents' house and a train crashed. They all three died. So my dad was very depressed and he moved from one part to the another part of India. Those days, this is in 1940s and 30s. This was India, which wasn't a Pakistan there or any, a Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. So he moved from Lahore all the way to the other end, the east part of the India from north. He never talked about he had a depression. He married my mom. My maternal grandfather was pro-British and more European. He was educated in Oxford. And so he was more pro-British, wore a fine suit, smoked cigar, drank scotch. <laughs> So uh, without the permission of my paternal grandfather, traditional, who was pro-Ghanese, so he kind of objected it. He did not like it. And after he got married and we were three brothers and sister, he basically disowned us. Mm. When I was a kid, six and a half year old, I was very curious. You may call it notorious. I decided to go in the afternoon to climb a guava tree and fetch a guava on the top of the tree. As I was clamoring deftly to the guava tree, you know, and suddenly I saw a monkey was also clamoring. And next thing I realized, he shrieked at me. I see a square jaw monkey looking right on my face with the fang-like teeth hanging out. I got really scared. I was up about 15 feet high. Mm. There was a rock underneath. I got so scared, I lost the surrounding. I let the branches go down. And next thing I was on the rock, I had a big laceration in my forehead. I had a fractured skull, missed my right eye. Most of my injury landed on my right elbow. My right elbow was completely shattered. I was unconscious. My younger brother found me, he informed my parents. I was taken to a small dispensary where it was a small village, small town. This is what we're really? talking in 1950 in India. How I, did you survive that? I somehow, with the blessing of the God, so they <laughs> showed me up. 
and they said my hand was really mangled. I need to go to a bigger facility, otherwise I'm gonna lose my right hand. At that point in time, my parents did take me 150 miles away close to my maternal grandfather hospital where an orthopedic surgeon put my hand together. First time, it didn't come right. My hand remained deformed and I did not have any function of the hand. That means I could not lift a piece of paper. I could not hold a pen. I could not hold a coin. People would throw a coin on the floor and I would look and cry. And so at that point in time, after two years passed by, I did not have any education. I lost the schooling during the period of time I'm being treated. There was some brain injury, right? Slowed down your learning ability as well, right? So slowed down, probably. Right, right. And at, at that point, my mom was only 10th grade educated. She tutored me. Whatever she knew, she tutored me. And being an Indian woman, mother, besides three kids and a husband, she was taking care of me. So after two and three years, I grew up in a small town. I had mm. every disease at that time, hepatitis, typhoid, malaria, asthma. Only disease I did not have leprosy as a kid. I had chicken pox, smallpox, and a TB. After two and a half years trying to reset my hand and function properly, it never came through. At mm. that point in time, my hand was left like this. And I remember the scene very well, Sister Jenna. Oh. My dad was sitting in the office with mom, and the doctor said, well, we've done everything else. We can leave this hand the way at least he can feed himself. Wow. At that point in time, my dad got really angry, and he told me, you bismarried the Singh's name. You ruined your career. Now you will be a beggar in the family. That's the only way you're going to make a living. The idea of to be a beggar was very painful. I had seen beggar in India broken pain, holding the thing, looking for coin and money. I could not hold myself. I start crying. Once I start crying, at that point in time, what must mother do? She grabbed me up, yelled to dad. He said, shut up. And she told me, get up, look up, and don't give up. Three line I never forgot. Get up, look up, and don't give up. I'll work with you, we'll fix you. She told the doctor, that you have to go and fix this hand. They said, you cannot have this thing because he cannot have anesthesia because he's pretty sick. The liver is not working very well and he's gonna have problems. He cannot have. So they said, only thing we can try last time to do another local without anesthesia. Mom says, you do what you have to do. So next day I was taken to the operating room, wide awake, five strong men, two sitting on my chest, one holding my leg, one holding the arm. The surgeon grabbed my elbow with assistant. He gave a signal, and next thing, snap. It's like a bamboo. Let me tell you, Sister Gina, I had so much pain and anger. I screamed so much that my, you, voice, hearing it. <laughs> my voice hurt across the bay, across the mountain, all the mm -hmm. way to Himalayas. I was screaming. That memory stayed with me for many, many years. I had dreamed. I had a scare in the night, woke up, and I was quite frightened with that. Yeah. After that was done, the hand was cast, was taken out, and it took it three years, this whole process. Wow. I did not have the function, muscles was atrophy. 
So I needed the rehab. How do I get the rehab? There was no rehab in India. There was no weightlifting machine, elastic band, or ultrasound, or air condition, massage therapy. My mom, who worked with my doctor, came up with an idea. She put the brick in the bag, tied my hand, and I have to walk every day on the street. So I was walking on the street, totaling a brick on my back as like an inmate in penile colony. First, I carried one bag, two bricks, three bricks, and finally four bricks. I will cry, I will scream, but I had no choice. Gradually, gradually, my hand got stretched out. The idea was the same. If you stimulate the muscle, it responds with the pressure, so it will develop. Also, I did not have a grip. So she will look, look at your mother, up. Arunbai, your mother with a 10th grade education. He was a very look at the brilliance of that soul's yeah. mind. Well, she may not be PhD, but let me tell you, she had a great personality. She had a great wit and she was intelligent and bright. I yeah. never crossed my mother over my life till she lived. She lift me up on the window. Windows had a crossbar, and I will grab the crossbar three feet above the ground and let it go. So I'll be hanging like a lizard, for, but that was to grab my increase the strength. Gradually, gradually, my strength got better, and I got ready to go to school. Tell me a little bit, how old were you around that time? The injury was around six, so I was around nine so years old. did they have any plans for you to get into medicine? No, zero. Wow, look at that. The only plan they had for me, hopefully I could do something. My hand comes back. There was no plan for medicine. I was a medical miracle. Yeah, I was struggling. So after that, I was ready to go to school. I was tested and I did pretty well, but I couldn't get to school. School already started. They said, you have to wait another year. So I had plenty of time. So what did I do? I was bored. I was angry frustrated, curious. So I did everything which you're not supposed to do. I jumped in a train, go to the next station. I walked like an Indian Dodger. I did not pick pocket, just like described in the the book. So I did everything. I walked around the street with the name of bad kid with the badge of honor. If I was growing in this country, I would have been family court as a juvenile delinquent. Suddenly I got into kite flying. Those who have seen and read it about the book Kite Runner, that's a very competitive uh, sport. And I yes. got to in, and what this really means, a single kite aloft in the sky to a challenge to a neighbor, bring it on. And I got in a very good kite flying. Wow. Do you have yes. a big kite collection? Yes, I had a collection. I bet I you a, don't beat mine. Okay, I wouldn't beat you. But I had the red and the black kite. And one day I was in tournament and I positioned myself in a height so I can leverage the kite faster. While I positioned myself and another kite came in underneath and somebody said, watch it, he's gonna take you out. And I tried to move backward, not realizing that right behind me was a ditch and there was fallen pillow there, which I was standing on. Next thing I fall in my ditch and I broke my left hand this time. And so I had to go another year of these things. So after all of these things done, my right and the left hand, which are both crippled, I gradually got better with the help of God and my dedication to the- uh, The strong mother mom, and good you know, doctors. And obviously I had yeah. no choice, I had to do it. 
my hand mm -hmm. got better and I got in school. When I got in school, I had no interest in studying. I tried to subvert my education, not completely avoid it, because kids who were in my class were much older than I was. I had, you know, I tried to cut classes. I passed this high school and middle grade. I had to be held back six months because I couldn't do very well in Sanskrit, in the reading and writing. Some of the subjects, the yeah. Subjects, and then I went to the community college, graduated in three years, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. The only profession I knew, Sister Jenna, was the medicine because I was always with the doctors in the hospital for four or five years. My dad would thought I would be better off to be engineer or something. And my grandfather, I know was a doctor, paternal grandfather, I never saw him because he disowned us. I was 10 years of age. He died, I never saw, never met him, never saw his picture. My maternal grandfather was, as I said to you, was educated in England and I had exposed his infidelity. So he disowned me too. So basically, one day I said, well, let's maybe I'll try to go into medical school. I took an exam and I did very well. It's a surprise to everyone. I got into medical school and the first thing I heard, it was very painful to me. The medical school in India was five years. First thing I said, everybody was surprised that I got in. Well, I'm glad he got into medical school. Our son be a doctor, if not in five years, at least in six years. That means I barely will make it. If you I barely will make it. it. Yeah. You know what? One minute, let me jump in here, doctor. Do you ever find that it's as if inside of you is your own passion and your own story that's unfolding for you? And then you've got these energies outside of you, other people who just can't see or feel what you're going through on the inside. And there's such downers on you. Did you ever listen to them where it kind of made you feel disheartened? Or did you listen to them and they actually inspired you to prove them wrong? Do you remember? Yeah, well, I think the people when say I couldn't do it, I made sure I would do it. If you say that you can't go over there, I will go there. If you say, I can't be a surgeon, I will be a surgeon. I'll tell you the story. So what happens, I got into medical school first year, the 120 students, my role was 101. So I was bottom of the class. I couldn't understand. Education was tougher, anatomy, physiology, everything else. Then I realized later on, there was no diagnosis. I had a severe dyslexia. So anything I read it, I have to read four times. I can't concentrate too much. So I was struggling, and after first year, I was heading to my home after the spring break. And I found out when I got home, my dad, just before I arrived, had a massive stroke. He was 51 years old. I go straight to the hospital. That's the first time I felt his pain. He was laying in a ward, which is a room, 30 patients, wooden cot, fans were barely moving. Mom was fanning, keep the flies away. Dogs were running about in the room. Pigs were walking outside. It smelled like putrid. I was devastated. I felt his pain. I was angry. At the same time, I was disheartened. At that point in time, I spoke to the doctor. The doctor said, he may not survive. If he does, he's going to be invalid. He's not able to do much. Right. This is in India. There's no Medicare. There's no welfare. <laughs> If you earn, that's what you make. 
we had yeah. a family which initially supported in the beginning and then gradually this is a chronic thing and we did not have very strong family support because my father my grandfather disowned him so we never saw him and the maternal grandfather was also not happy with us because i had exposed his infidelity so what we do every penny we had we ran out my mom became a servant a wife caretaker a nurse etc i saw her pain i saw her tears in her eye when i faced her i knew how much she was suffering at that point i say i'm not going back i'm going to drop out of medical school i'm going to stay here i was 17 year old at that time she looked at me and she says and your father may not survive your two brothers and sister today you are guardian of the family you are responsible for the entire family so suddenly i was given at the 17 a responsibility of family i had to take my younger brothers one on the rail on the bike one on the back seat you know pedal them in a 100 degree temperature to the school there was no yellow buses there Incredible. you know so here i was doing it my dream for being a doctor was completely shattered i was not going and i took the summer off at that point in time and i saw my mom suffer uh, the most painful in my life was we would have a dinner and mom always sat in the with the dinner with us uh, later part i realized she's not having a dinner with us i would ask her mom how come you're not eating she said i'm not hungry make sacrifice sure. her meal for you guys next year make wow. sure so we eat this and i realized that you know i, I think about it I still have my tears, but I don't know what we will do if without mom. Yeah. You know, I still have tears in my eyes when I think about. It. After that, so she said, "The only way we're gonna get better, we're gonna go. I want you to go back to school, study hard, and want to be man. That's the only way we can be recovered." So I went back and I studied very hard. From the bottom of the class, I graduated first in the class in the medical school in five wow. years. And when I was there, I met a doctor who was a professor. He helped me. He said, "Aaron, you are very bright. You should go to America, where you can have a job and you can have better education and learning, and then you come back." So I made the arrangements. I took exam. I did very well. I got a position. We didn't have any money. We had no money to buy a plane ticket. Worcester City Hospital in Massachusetts gave me a job. promise that they're going to pay for the plane fare which was $600 and room and board i said that's wonderful when the indian being sleeping on a hard floor i don't need anything i can live on one meal so i was ready to come the last minute like everything the hospital backed out to say we have no money we're not going to give you let me tell you I had no job in India. I had no place to go because I had turned it down. Mm-hmm. And here I have no place to come. I cried. I prayed every temple, every mosque and every church, please help me somehow. After 8 weeks, finally my paternal grandma put a pressure on my grandfather to please lend him $600. He eventually lent me $600 and the condition that i returned the money right away this is loan he made it and he's writing i said okay and so he gave so i bought the ticket i have 8 dollar in my pocket i had never my transportation before coming to this country 
or the rickshaw or the slow moving rail or walking on or, those two or, little or legs of yours <laughs> and now suddenly i'm flying into airplane thirty thousand feet up i took the cheapest flight nine stop over layover finally london i spent three dollars from heathrow to victoria station to go there and slept overnight because the air the airline made the arrangements i did not eat anything because i didn't want to spend the money so i spent three dollar that drank only water and some peanuts or cashew they gave at the airline i was afraid to drink even the coke i had never exposed to coke before looked to me a red wine so i never drank coke before so when i left london i had five dollar in my pocket that's mr lincoln and let me tell you, that's the most valuable money I had in my pocket. Every five minutes, I put my hand in the pocket to make sure he doesn't escape. When I arrived at the Kennedy Airport, and I had to come to Worcester, I finally did. And then I had to come to the hospital. And I had only $5. At that point in time, I waited last passenger when the airport got emptied out. Go to the information desk, and I asked, I'd like to go to the hospital, the city hospital. How do you get there? How do you walk? What is it? She looked at me in a strange way, says, sir, nobody walks. Either somebody picks you up or take a cab. I said, no, I want to walk because I didn't have money. So I didn't want to say I don't have money. She said, here is a map. And she put the map and lined it, the yellow marker. And the first time I saw the European names and Indian names, which I never recognized. I had never How seen How far was the hospital from the airport? Uh, it was about seven, eight miles exactly. Oh, somewhere. Okay. Bad, not bad. Yeah, yeah. Not, but on the hill was evening. So I had no idea what, can't read the map. I had never seen a map in India. You know, the street you go around in a big alley, that's all you do. So what I do, so I was standing there till a cab driver who looks like an immigrant and dirty glasses smoking. And he says, Brother, where do you want to go? I said, well, the hospital. I said, how much? He said, $3 and a quarter. I said, I had a $5. So I go in there, get the car, he takes me up. When I get in the front of the hospital, I was afraid that they said they don't have a job. But they did accept the job. They said, no, we're expecting you, but we didn't expect you tonight, but we do have a room for you. And here's the key. But I said, I need to send a message to my family that I arrived. You know, there's no telephone to call. I say, I want to send a Western telegram how much it costs, $1.50. So I send two words, arrive safely. That's the letter <laughs> I sent it to. The first night I slept, Sister Jenna, in this new world. Wow. I said, I had a quarter in my pocket. I put it on a desk. I had four things I belonged. I came in a book and an image of my favorite goddess. That's the Saraswati and the Gita, the religious book. I never read much of Gita, but I did bring it in. And the back of cash, which the airline had given. I put that thing, when I woke up in the morning, I had a quarter in my pocket. That's all I had. But luckily, the food in the room was available, so I did my first paycheck. I sent it to my mom as a gift, so she can buy things up for herself. Dollar exchange was good. My second paycheck was I paid my plane fare, returned to my grandfather. So this was what was like here when I came here. Doctor saying your story is really, where do I find the words? Perseverance, 
courage, luck. And a blessing um, of the God. Vulnerability, blessings definitely from above. But the blessings also from your mom. The blessings oh, yeah. from well, your mother. No question about my mom. And how you... Imagine just, okay, everyone, everyone, if you're just tuning in now, I'm having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Dr. Arun Singh, who's a cardiac surgeon. He's worked on over 20,000 hearts. Just think about that a little bit. And what we've been talking about is his journey before he became the successful surgeon in the United States of America, practicing out of Rhode Island. And if you've been with us tuning in, especially if you've just tuned in, you've missed a lot, play over this show over and over again. But I'll tell you this, when I listened to Dr. Singh's story, Arunbai, it inspires me so much. Because when we hear of individuals coming out of Bharat, out of Mother India, with conditions that are not always the best, I mean, look where your father ended up in a hospital with 30 beds, dogs, pigs, you know, flies, no air condition, it's heartbreaking. And then you come over to the United States of America and you saw firsthand hospitals don't look like that at all in India. And can you remind me what was going on in you when you stepped into that hospital and you looked around? Do you remember what those first thoughts were apart from telegramming the family? that you arrived safely. Well, Do you the, remember what those first thoughts were? The first thing I remember seeing and when I walked in the ward, people have private rooms. People had a television. People have a tray to serve food. They have a toilet. The nurse come and the people coming with the gloves and a tray and a Johnny. I never seen any of those things. So when I arrived here, yes, I learned a lot, you know, the Western world and the culture, but also, we face a lot of problems, lots of discrimination. You know, many of us, when I was Worcester, was mostly white people there, and they did not know many of the Indians. They want to know whether I'm a Cuban or whether I'm a Caribbean or an Afro-American. When I would <laughs> say that I'm in from India, they would say, oh, yeah, the only character they know from Jungle Gandhi. Book. Gandhi. In a Gandhi half naked ascetic, you know, or they will know Snake Charmer and they will ask me a question Do you ride around the elephants? You know, this is in the 60s, even people where our accents were a little bit different, but sure. you know, which has become very, very popular later on in the movie and sitcoms and things like that. But many of them, this is a cultural ignorance for a lot of people. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we face a lot of this, it was not easy. The, in the 60s, there was, life was different for immigrants, much more worse than what you see now. You had something different, Dr. Singh. You had pain that was really deep. And that pain kept pushing you to allow that vision to emerge. I mean, look at the med students of today. They've got like everything laid out. Parents paid their medical fees. You know, they have a car. There's a home. And I don't know how driven they are in terms of the profession of medicine, but you were like hanging on a wire and you had mom back home and you had the family and you were in a completely different culture. But brother, you broke drive, through it. I had the drive. To yeah, the you definitely had the drive. There's no the doubt. I had drive and determination and great. And I had multiple failures, sister. You know, if you say that I succeed every day. No, I had multiple, multiple failures. 
everywhere I fell, but the more I fell, I became much stronger. I learned from failure. I mean, you were learning though, weren't you? You learned yeah. things that maybe you wouldn't have learned if you were just to, you know, touch everything yes. and have yeah, this mojo. It, so, so tell me when you did your first surgery, what did that feel like when you knew what those hands had gone through? First of all, I never wanted to be a surgeon, never thought of being a heart surgeon. I wanted to be a medical doctor, if anything. Many years ago, when I was a kid, my maternal grandfather said that don't ever become a surgeon because age is your going to be enemy. People are going to see your gray hair, glasses, shaky hand. He says, surgeon is very old, not become a medical doctor. So I didn't like it. You know, as I say, I always look at like a revolt. You know, I, I did opposite. I said, someday I will become a surgeon. And that's what made me to become a surgeon. Remember, this hand was crippled. So in order to do the surgery, you need a real good hand-eye coordination. I had none. So when I was a resident, when I was getting training, I had a hard time and I wanted to be orthopedic surgeon. Here I was 120 pounds, you know, 5'8", and I had to deal with 220 pound patients, 6'3". I couldn't lift them, I couldn't do it. So I was failure as an orthopedic, I couldn't do it. So I decided to become a heart surgery in a, had a young kid, delicate operator. I said, maybe I could do it, but I needed dexterity, I didn't. Have. So how did I do it? Every night in the residence, when you're resident training, uh, they have very long duty hours. Nine o'clock, eight o'clock in New York City, people will go to the theater or whatever they do, party. I went to my room and I practiced sewing on my pillow for an hour and a two every night. And believe me, sister, I did it till I retired to have my hands swift and moving. And I can assure you, my pillows in my room were better embroidered than the pillows in New York or France or London <laughs> in a past hotel. So gradually, I got the dexterity is back. But I wanted to be a heart surgeon. But there was a lot of discrimination. Who were the heart surgeons those days in 60 and 70? The people who were white, six foot tall, who had went to the private school and over a chart, they came from Westchester County, a Marine County. They had a perfect set of teeth. They had perfect scores. They played tennis. They had a trust fund if they failed. There was no place for the Indians or immigrants or the Afro-Americans or even the women. So this was a tough, daunting job to get it. And I did not get it till I finished my training by luck by one of the professors. The position opened up in Rhode Island. This last minute, they couldn't find anybody. I was turned down everywhere, including in Rhode Island Hospital. I was turned down Rhode Island Hospital five years ago because they said there's no place for it. So I never told them, but when they gave me a position, I said, I will show them what you missed. It. And, Beautiful. I, and I never went, I had opportunity to go to Boston at the Harvard. I did not, I said, this is the place who turned me down five years ago. <laughs> I will show them what you missed. And, and that did. you did. I mean, you've and done over 20,000 heart surgeries yeah, along I, with I, I, over 5,000 related procedures. And, and sister, you're top I of did, the line in Rhode Island, no? Huh? Yeah, well, I, sister, I did more heart surgery than anybody north and east of Mason-Dixon line. 
anybody in Boston, Maryland, New York, it has a loan surgeon. What was the reason for my success? Three reasons, three A's. I was very able, I was amicable, and I was available. To me, it didn't matter because of my background, where you come from. I never question you. Why are you in this position? Why are you a single mother? Why are you a drug addict? What got you to that? Why you don't have insurance? Why you not? I'm there to provide the service. I'm here to yeah. somebody. That you have, doctor, you know, you, you've you know, done that. You know, somebody took care of when I didn't have. And it's my obligation, my duty to provide the service. To do that. To that. And I well, did. I'm glad you are because you have continued to maintain your compassion in your field, which sometimes I think some of the medical physicians, they kind of check out. They don't mean to, yeah. but they check out. You know, it just happens because of the profession. Is it there was, anything new that you can update us with? Are you working on something special? You know, well, what I'm doing are three things, sister. I always think the country, America, you know, you hear about the racial issues and all other things. I'm talking to the high school, public school kids, giving a talk. Because a lot of public school kids have no facility. Listen, if I can do, you can do too. You know, you're growing up in a ghetto, but let me show you, I had worse than you had. You were American, you are born here, and you have, are immigrant, whatever. you have better facilities than I have. If I can do it, you can. If I can make a change in the life of few people, I'm not saying everyone is worth it. Second thing, what I do, I run, I go work in a Florida free clinic. But the free clinic, the people who are uninsured, had no insurance, I take care of them. Doesn't, if you have insurance or healthcare, we will not. We provide the service. And the third thing, which I have a passionate about it, is that I teach in the Brown Medical School students assassin and also to Bryant University, which is a physician assistant, they are the caretaker for the people. I tell the people, look, yes, there's a lot of discrimination. Yes, discrimination is everywhere in a culture and a society, name in which country did not. I grew up in India. I had a discrimination. My grandfather didn't like me because my father married my mom in a lower caste. So it's not. In this country, look, English hated the Germans, the Irish hated the Italian, everybody hated the Jews, you know, and American hated the immigrants till they registered, till they can't. So what is the thing? America is blessed with the founding document, principle and value. And if you have something wrong, you can raise your hand and you can flow in mm. the system. You can say- Don't you love that about America yeah. though? So you can't. So I'm, yeah. you know, as to me, I have two mothers. India gave me the birth, gave it the value, installed its values and family values, history. America gave me the opportunity. For those who are born here, I want to tell them, those who are born in this country, this is your home. For those of us who came from far and away, this is our adopted home. The most important, this is our promised land. And let me tell you, America fulfilled its promise and it illuminates the light of liberty, hard work in our country. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you so much for that. You know, that's why I do this show. A wonderful thing. And I hope that the people the younger generation to have these, especially this country, we have a lot of immigrants coming and 
they have a lot of opportunity. We got to give them equity and equality. But besides the equity and equality, you have one thing, you have to have a drive and determination. You can give all the money, you can give all the opportunity, it isn't gonna happen. You gotta install a drive and determination and focus. Don't Indeed. you agree? 100%. Everyone, I'm sure you've taken so much from my conversation with Dr. Arun Singh. What an inspiring story. So much thank, courage. Thank you for having me. You always of course. Well, actually, I more like to listen to you than to talk with you because it's just such a profound journey, one of such faith and love and courage. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, you know, these conversations that we're having where we're bridging the divide between the East and the West and bringing the best of both worlds right here. Like Dr. Singh said, you know, India was birthed him with his values and his ethics family values, and he came here to America, and he got the promised land, and that America really fulfills its promise. This is very, very true. So again, how do we pull from the best of both worlds? We must do that. There's nothing wrong with one country or one culture. Everything is right with everyone, if we can just pull from that. Everyone brings something on the table. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Every culture, every religion has positive and negative exactly and i remember one line somebody talked to gandhi many years ago he says tell me why is my religion worse than yours explain to me and they couldn't he said i tell you 10 things and you tell me 10. so every one of has brings a value on a table you got to look and recognize and take advantage of it You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I also want to tell people, don't dwell on negativity. Don't dwell on the self-pity. Don't waste your energy just by anger. You get even. How do you get even? You get even by accomplishment, by achievement, not by getting anger and say disgruntled and say, well, I'm going to quit. No, you get, Mm -hmm. you fight it. But you don't Beautiful. fight with the anger. Beautiful. Fight Beautiful. to take the anger somewhere else. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Rin Singh. All right, everyone. So please drop us a DM or a message on America Meditating Radio. Let us know what you think or what you took from this conversation today. And we would be happy to respond to you directly. Take care of yourselves. Be safe and stay positive. Thanks for joining us. Take care. When I was asked by Sacred Stories Publishing to write a book on mystical divine experiences, initially I said, no, those are too private. But then when they came back again to urge me to do it, I said, why not? It'll be of service because over 25 co-authors would be joining me on this journey to share their own experiences. In meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices You will read stories from our co-authors of a heartfelt clarity about a father's death giving his son a new life. You will hear the story of a woman embracing her wounded inner child and healing herself. You will even hear stories about an inexplicable medical miracle and so much more. This book has a life of its own. You will learn how listening to your inner silence can help you overcome life obstacles and reclaim your spiritual power. I hope that you'll be able to dive deep into this and 
maybe even explore your own mystical and divine experiences for your life to change, for your life to become one that is completely full and rich of everything good. Enjoy and thank you for looking into meditation, intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices. Wishes you happy holidays. Located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville, Virginia. We're a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi. Come, savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.